Welcome to Excel Radio with Dr. Nick Zarowski, where we talk with world-class entrepreneurs, executives, and health experts who have unlocked the secrets to Excel Health and performance. Hi, and welcome to Excel Radio. This is your host and high-performance expert, Dr. Nick Zarowski. In this episode, I'm going to be speaking with the author of The Stress Solution, Dr. Sierra McCauley. Now, Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley is a clinical psychologist who works with people from all over the world in order to help them balance their health through better psychology. He focuses on working with entrepreneurs, executives, CEOs, CFOs, and high performers. Now, Dr. Arthur in this episode speaks about a cutting edge tool that he believes is really a key to living a better life that is not full of stress. Now, Dr. Arthur's book, The Stress Solution, if you have not received a copy of it, we're going to be giving one away in our New Vision Excel community on Facebook. So if you have not joined our Facebook group yet, surely uh, do that quickly because we're going to be giving this book away once this episode is released. So um, once again, you can just go to Facebook and type in New Vision Excel community, and we're going to be giving away um, some copies of his book. Once again, Dr. Arthur really delivers value in this episode, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I So do. one of the things I want to ask you right off the bat, Dr. Arthur, is you write a lot of books, and why is it that you decided to focus on stress and write a book on that topic? Well, I wrote a book on stress in particular because uh, 75% of the visits to primary care physicians last year were due to stress. And 75% of Americans say that they suffer from stress either physically or, or psychologically every day. And 50% of people say in America say that they wake up every night due to stress. So I hear this word being referred to so often that I decided to really do some research and also use the experiences of my patients to write a book on it. But I, I'm very concerned about it because I think it has really accentuated dramatically in our culture in, in the last few years. So I wanted to address it and try to help people balance their lives, understand really what causes stress and particularly what releases the stress hormone cortisol because it can be so damaging, as you know. So that made me want to focus on this subject comprehensively. Yeah, and I think that there's probably not a better time in history to start focusing on this question because when I work with entrepreneurs, executives, CEOs, CFOs, one of the things is that they all have in common is that they are all very stressed out. And why do you think it is that stress has risen so dramatically? Well, you know, Americans have fewer friends. We have fewer friends than we did 15 years ago from six to two or three. The trust levels in America are down. The prejudice rates in America are up. Our empathy for each other has, has been reduced dramatically. So we're not connecting very well with each other. And most importantly, I think people have to realize that stress is mainly caused by perception. You know, being able to perceive accurately is crucial to reducing stress because old bias thinking based on early conditioning distorts reality and causes unnecessary tension. You know, empathy, which I focus on a great deal in this book, makes it easier to recognize and change cognitive distortions. And what I mean by cognitive distortions are you know, those ways of thinking that we learned early on that are not really based in truth. And empathy slows us down so that we can use the thinking part of the brain, not the emotional part of the brain, so that we can find out 
the way we distort reality, the reality about ourselves and about others because it can cause stress significantly. And some of the cognitive distortions, for example, that people generally use are generalizing, magnifying, catastrophizing, black and white thinking, minimizing, accentuating, projecting. These are all ways of perceiving that we learn early in life that profoundly distort reality. And when we know how to use empathy, which is basically everyday mind reading, you know, empathy is the capacity to understand and respond to the unique experiences of another person. It's really being able to look beyond the surface of a person into their heart and soul and really get to know them, know their motivation, and know what, what, they're try, what is their purpose for interacting with us. It also teaches us who to get close to and most importantly who to stay away from. But when we're stressed, when we perceive inaccurately consistently, we produce the stress hormone cortisol. And if we do this on a regular basis, it causes negative thinking. It also causes weight gain, inflammation, hair loss. It breaks down muscle tissue. It causes flabbiness. It can cause depression, anxiety. And most importantly, it can cause memory loss. It actually destroys uh, the memory neurons in the memory center of the brain when we have cortisol in our system. And one of the things I'm sure you probably have discussed, Nick, with your clients is that it also throws off the blood sugar levels in our body, which cortisol, if it's in abundance in our body, throws off the blood sugar levels so that we crave sugary substances and it increases fat cells. So it is, a, it is very crucial in terms of weight gain, which I think is not mentioned very often in terms of many of our weight management programs. That's interesting. So what you're saying is that you know, stress beyond just this mental uh, piece of it, it really directly destroys your body um, through through just making your hormones go haywire more or less. But now, would this be a reason that many people suffer from adrenal fatigue as well? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's an excellent point because adrenal fatigue is often precipitated by ongoing stress. And you know, you work with a lot of high-achieving people. I do as well. And uh, th these these people are good people. And they're not mentally ill, but their their lives are not balanced, and their chemicals are not balanced. And what I'm trying to teach people in this book, because it's mainly a workbook, is how to produce calming neurochemicals. For instance, when we give and receive empathy, this is absolutely fascinating. We produce the hormone oxytocin, and oxytocin is the hormone that women produce when they're pregnant. It, it yep. is a miracle neurotransmitter. I mean, it reduces anxiety and cortisol levels. So it reduces cortisol. It also have, helps us live longer. It aids in recovery from illness and injury. It promotes, promotes a sense of calm and well-being. It increases generosity and empathy, protects against heart disease. It modulates inflammation. It reduces craving for addictive substances, which is very important. And most importantly, it creates bonding and an increase in trust of others so it decreases fear and it gives us a sense of security and a desire to connect with other people. So when we're connecting, when we're truly listening empathically, and as you know I have a chapter in the book on empathic listening because I think mm -hmm. it's so crucial to our well-being, that it actually produces this, this chemical that makes us live longer, we're happier, and we, we, we're more able to open up and be vulnerable with other people. So empathy, giving and receiving empathy, reduces the, produces the chemical that makes us feel connected, safe, and secure. Stress produces the neurochemical cortisol, which makes us feel fearful and biased. And you know, when we produce cortisol, it's been proven that we reduce our capacity to be empathic. So when we're stressed, we can't be as empathic with other people. 
which is critical. I mean, empathy, I think, is the most important capacity for, for success, not only in our personal lives, but in our professional lives. I mean, Stephen Covey said years ago when he was asked, what's the most important ingredient to success in the business world? He gave a one-word answer. He said empathy. The Harvard Business Review did a study, a long-term study, to try to figure out what is the most necessary characteristics for their MBA students to be successful in the corporate world. It came down to two things, the ability to make people feel heard and the ability to make people feel understood. And that essentially is empathy. Now, in your book, you really took the time to differentiate between the words sympathy and empathy. It's my understanding that most people get those confused with one another. So can you go in and explain the difference between those words and, and really share with our listeners why it's important to understand the difference and use these things properly? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a very important question, Nick, because empathy is often confused with sympathy. You know, sympathy as opposed to empathy occurs when we identify with another person's experience, even if we don't know if our experiences are similar. Let me give you an example from a, a client of mine last week. Um, she moved here from California to Massachusetts. I'm in Massachusetts. And she's new to a neighborhood. And she had lost her father. Her father had a, a fatal heart attack last year. And she was very, very close to her dad. And she was devastated by the loss. And then she heard of her neighbor four houses up from her. Her father had just died. One of her other neighbors told her that. So she made a basket of food. And she, made, uh, she put together some flower arrangements. And she walked down to the neighbor's house. And she rang the doorbell. And when the woman answered, she said, oh, my God, I heard you just lost your father. I lost my father last year. I know you must be devastated. I, I was so devastated. I still can't get over the loss of my dad. And the woman looked at her and she said, I'm very grateful that you're being so generous. But I want you to know my father left us when we were two years old. I never saw my father after that. I wouldn't know my father if I saw him walking down the street. So I'm not devastated. Oh, so wow. sympathy rushes in to console. It rushes in right away without really ascertaining the facts. As I said, it's based on identifying, meaning that if whatever my experience is, I'm assuming yours is the same. Well, in this case, mm. it's with two people who both lost their fathers with dramatically different experiences. So empathy rushes into console without having the facts. Sympathy, uh, empathy waits to understand the actual facts. It's very truth-oriented. So okay. sympathy rushes into console, Empathy slows down to understand. And, you know, in the book I talk about holy listening from and the chapter on empathic listening, which is really listening another person's soul into a position of disclosure and discovery. That's when you really connect and understand another human being. And it makes other human beings feel safe and secure with us, and they want to give it back to us. So we have a reciprocal connecting process that, again, releases the hormone oxytocin which is that connecting love hormone that makes us feel good, secure, and safe. Okay, thank you for clearing that up. Yeah, I know that there's quite a difference there, and a lot of people really confused to both of them. And you go through all the time to really differentiate it, so I wanted to make sure that we cleared that up on here. One of the things that you mentioned I want to talk about a little bit is um, – the how stress actually raises the inflammation levels. There's a lot of talk about inflammation right now. You know, we 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 see this in you know science journals, and you know they're calling it the root to all diseases. Um, yes. And so what you're saying is that this inflammation that leads to you know heart disease and cancer and all these really uh, bad diseases that are plaguing 
pretty much the whole country right now with huge statistics. Um, you're saying that stress is actually a driver of that inflammatory process. Oh, unquestionably, Nick. I mean, even even you know, uh, just last week there were researchers uh, in Australia who released a study. They found that chronic stress increases activity in the lymphatic system, allowing cancer to spread six times faster. So that's wow. how damaging it is. And yes, it causes all those negative effects because cortisol cortisol released. To a minor degree is okay, but when you're releasing it every day, and a lot of people, it's sort of like having a low-level temperature. They don't even know they have a temperature. And stressed people, especially high achievers, are doing this all the time. And, of course, it is you don't necessarily have to be a high achiever to be stressed. You could be sitting home all day, and just by the way you think, you could be creating stress in the release of cortisol. That's why I keep emphasizing in this book that stress is mainly produced by what we see and is what we see accurate even about ourselves and other people that's why i focus on you know one of the last chapters in the book is who am i you know who how have you come to really know who you are not based on what you learned early in life but what you've come to know through objective feedback this at this point in your life you know early in life we create a novel a, fixed, a fictitious story about ourselves that we write based on what we think is being reflected back to us from those around us as if we're looking at ourselves in a mirror. But if the mirrors you're looking into are cracked or inaccurate, you get a distorted view of yourself as you would in a circus mirror. So as a result, you create an inaccurate story about yourself, and this story sets the stage for an irrational belief system. So we, we cannot change the story alone. We're all too subjective. We need to be in relationships with other reasonable empathic people. We need a group of people in our lives that will give us honest feedback so that we can obtain an accurate view of who we are today and we can perceive in more objective, truthful ways. Because that early story, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this in your career. People come in and they say, oh, I'm not intelligent. I'm, I'm not smart. I'm not attractive. I'm not athletic. I can't sing. I, I, so many things that they learned early in life that are untrue. And again, if you're looking into mirrors that have their own biases, you take on those biases. And that's why, you know, I wrote a chapter in the book on prejudice. And because prejudice is, is a great part of misperceiving. That I, I give an example in the book of uh, several statements that people made about their prejudices that we worked with. And one of the statements, the first statement I, I write about is a, a fellow said to me, a CFO, I mean, a very educated man who's a good man, but he said to me, a dog was barking outside my office. And he said, oh, you know, I, I had dogs when I was a kid, but, you know, we had a black family at the end of the end of the street on our corner. And, you know, dogs don't like black people. And I said, dogs don't like black people? What are you basing that on? He goes, oh, well, my mother told us when we were kids, it's something about the smell. And I said, what? And I said, you know, I have, I have an African-American uncle, and he has dogs, and they love him. And we actually call him the dog whisperer because our dogs go to him immediately, and they love him as well. So I'm not sure what the facts are of what you've come to conclude. I said, had, did you ever introduce your, your dog to the, to the African-American family on the corner of your street? He said, no. I said, did you actually ever see your dog next to one of, one of the people in the black family? He said, no. I said, so you're basing this on what your mother told you mm -hmm. many, many, many years ago. I mean, this is a 52-year-old man. And he said, well, now I'm feeling foolish. And I said, I'm not trying to make you feel foolish. It's just a good example of the things that we record on an emotional level that are not fact-based about ourselves and about others. And now you know. 
black people don't have problems with dogs. That's not true. It's a myth. Mm-hmm. Right. There was a gentleman I listened to. Um, he was doing a, a public speaking event, and when I went to him, he was his name is Steve Linder. He was saying that uh, you know it's you know there's so many people who say, oh, I can't be successful because you know my dad was an alcoholic, or um, you know they have all these stories they come up with, and and he's like these are just stories. Like in in and as long as you hold on to those stories that like make absolutely no sense. Um, you know, he's like, it's the stories you're telling yourself. That's the reason you can't become successful. It has nothing to do with your dad. Yes. And what, and then when you have that self voice, you know, when you have a critical self voice and inner voice, you're likely to internalize stress. You blame yourself for situations that are out of your control. You probably have difficulty differentiating when the cause of a particular event is situational and when it is personal. You know, you've already developed negative thoughts about about the stress you may encounter before it actually exists. And this internal negativity makes you far more likely to overact, overreact to a stressful situation. Absolutely. It's, it's I agree. On self-voice, because that very much determines what we perceive. And that's why we have to rid ourselves of old biased thinking, old conditioning. And, you know, conditioning is... is encoded in a very deep part of the brain and particularly in emotional situations we release cortisol which kind of cements these memories that we have to unlock I try to teach people that it's not always finding out what's wrong with you it's really unlocking what's always been right with you that you've kind of lost touch with that's very interesting very interesting now in your book you were saying you know that this new combination of the power of empathy and what you refer to as CBT, as measured through the science of neurochemistry, will provide the most comprehensive self-help tool to date. Can you go into that a little bit? Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, empathy calms the emotional brain so we can perceive accurately and thoughtfully. And being able to perceive accurately is crucial to reducing stress, that old bias thinking that we've been talking about that's based on early conditioning because it, it distorts reality and causes unnecessary tension. Mm-hmm. So empathy makes it easy to recognize and change cognitive distortions. And cognitive behavioral therapy basically focuses on the present, just focusing on the kinds of ways that we learn to perceive that are not accurate, like again, uh, generalizing, magnifying, catastrophizing, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So in the book, I tell stories about how people learn about their particular cognitive distortions, how they correct them, and at the end of each chapter, I asked people, which person did you identify? Which cognitive distortion have you learned to use? And then empathy, you know, combined with cognitive behavioral therapy, empathy calms the emotional brain so that we can understand where we distort and then we can unlearn. Because anything that's learned in life can be unlearned. It may take time, but it can be unlearned. And this book is about unlearning the, the biased ways that you perceive yourself and others so that you can see the truth, the truth about yourself and you can, res- you can perceive other situ- situations and other people's motivations truthfully. So the combination, the three components produce a synergy that enhances lives I believe because it reduces the stress and it's also teaching us how to produce our own natural chemicals that create calm focused energy to do the best we can. From a neurochemistry standpoint, though, this actually changes the brain so that maybe if if I'm understanding this right, at first it's more challenging to do. But then once you actually get more or less in the hang of it, 
it becomes easier and easier. Am I correct? Yes, it, it will become easier and easier. You know, in some of my group sessions, I've had people join whose spouses have told me they don't have the empathy gene. You know, people who seem to have a little empathy. And once they're in group and once they're interacting with other people, they begin to learn how to slow down and to perceive themselves and others much more accurately. I had an example just a few weeks ago, Nick, where um, I added a woman to one of my group sessions who was going through a divorce. And one of the women in, in the room asked her, you know, how come you joined the group? And she goes, well, I'm going through a divorce and I, I thought I might need to know, you know, I'm, I'm 45 years old and I really want to learn more about how to relate to people and make better choices in my life. And one of the women said, oh, my God, you need a hard-nosed attorney. I know somebody in Boston who you can use. Uh, I, I used him. And, you know, you, you never know what's going to happen in court. Your husband could want to take you to the cleaners. And another man who had been divorced recently, he joined and said something very similar. And then one of the men was shaking his head. And I said, Roy, how come you're shaking your head? He said, well, you know, our two people have jumped to the conclusion that this guy's a terrible person and he's going to take her to the cleaners. And we haven't even asked Marie what the nature of her divorce is. You see, that was an empathic comment. And then he asked her and she said, you know, my husband and I, I was pregnant when I was a senior in high school. We were married at 19. We were both 19. And my husband is a very good person. And I do not hate him. I don't worry about him uh, taking any advantage of me in this process. She said, because he's a good person and I think he thinks I'm a good person. But we've never been in love. We've, we've always sort of been like friends, brother and sister. We thought we had to get married back then. And we'd like to see if there are other opportunities in life. We both would like to know what it's like to be in love and to really love someone on a deeper level. And she said, we don't need hard-nosed attorneys. We have a mediator. And right now, we're pretty much thinking we're going to be divorced for under $3,000. So you see, the first two people jumped in with sympathy. The, set, the other person was waiting to understand the facts, and he asked an open-ended question. What is the nature of your divorce? And asking open-ended questions is the heart and soul of empathy because it doesn't conclude. You know, closed-end questions, and a lot of times questions are really statements. They're like, oh, don't you, don't you need a hard-nosed lawyer? Well, that's not a question. It's really saying, I think you need a hard-nosed lawyer based on my experience, which again is sympathy. Open-ended questions open the door to a person's experience. Instead of asking, it's sort of instead of asking your teenage daughter, honey, do you really think your date was cute? You might ask, how was your evening with your new date? You know, one is implying an answer. The other is opening the door to another person's unique experience. So as people do this more and more, for instance, the two people that reacted so quickly in this situation, they are learning that they're, they're reacting too impulsively based on emotion, the hurt of their own divorces, and they're not really listening to the experience of the other person. So in a situation like that, yes, when you do it a few times, you come to realize your own biases. So if you've only been divorced three months and, you, and you know, there was an affair or something unethical involved, yeah, you're probably pretty raw. And you ought to hold back your judgment about these situations because you know that you're more likely to read in your own experience rather than understanding someone else's experience. Right. And really, you know, what we're talking about here is like self-peace more or less, you know. So in order to have self-peace and not, you know, just tear your body down through the stress of the whole thing, then you need to just ask better questions is where we're going with this, right? When you ask better questions, when you, when you learn how to listen empathically, which is why, you know, my, our youngest daughter says that's the most important chapter of the book. She said, Dad, you should have wrote the whole book 
about empathic listening because nobody listens to each other anymore. We all mm-hmm. talk to each other. You know, and yes, when we're able to slow down and listen from an empathic, open-ended point of view, we produce calming neurochemicals. And when we produce calming neurochemicals, we increase our health. Oxytocin and some of these other chemicals can be produced naturally. You know, we're so medication-oriented in our society right now that the the high percentage of young people on antidepressants and ADD medication, when we're not really teaching people how to cope differently, how to perceive differently, so that the change is lasting. It's not just produced by an external agent. You know, you can't really cure an internal problem with an external solution. You have to I go agree. inside and, and find out what is making me perceive this way. It's like you and I looking at each other and you look at me and say, oh, that guy, that fellow's tall and he's frowning, so he, he's probably angry with me. And then you find out tomorrow I have a migraine. Mm-hmm. I had a migraine yesterday. I wasn't angry at all. So when you grow up with these kind of sensitivities, it's, it's hard not to read in. And what we're learning in this workbook, essentially, is to slow down and actually learn what is the truth. Empathy is truth-oriented. It's objective. It, it doesn't assume anything. It waits to find out what the facts actually are. Okay. And so in the workplace then, too, the key is going to be to not judging and, and, and approaching situations with, like, sympathy or just from look, looking at it from, the, you know, the outside in, but, you know, more or less going and asking some questions and trying to really figure out the whole situation before you pass judgment on to that situation and, and um, you know, maybe get upset with it more or less. Yes, exactly. I mean, the three keys to expressing empathy is ask open-ended questions, to slow down because empathy slows things down so that emotions can be tempered with thoughtful reflection and to avoid snap judgments, just like you mentioned, because empathy does not categorize people based on past experience, but sees human beings as always changing and evolving. You know, whenever I hear a couple say, oh, I know him like the back of my hand or I know her by the back of my hand, I think that's dangerous because then we stop listening and people change and grow. You know, you may have been a Democrat 20 years ago and now you're a Republican or you may have had one view of a certain issue and now you've changed or maybe you've changed your eating habits or your exercise habits or your view of exercise or health care. So we are evolving human beings and when you assume that you've got it all down, And I think that happens in a lot of long-term relationships. And it actually can destroy the spirit of relationships and certainly can destroy the spirit of love. Because once a person feels like they're being categorized from 10 years ago, they don't feel like they're living in the present. And living in the present is where our energy comes from. Very interesting. Now, what are some of the like the, the the tips and pointers that you can give so people can really start implementing this right away? I mean, I know that we've discussed all of like you know the what you need to do, but how can somebody really you know today start living a better life through the um, solutions that you offer um, in your book? Well, first of all, most importantly, Nick, is to realize that perception is the key to reducing stress. So you have to learn about where the biases are and the way you perceive from the conditioning that you evolved from early childhood. And and the key questions you want to follow and try to discipline yourself. And and these these hints are all in the chapter on empathic listening is, again, ask open-ended questions. Make sure you're telling yourself to slow down. Avoid snap judgments. Pay attention to your body and the other person's because 
Empathy is an integrated mind-body response. You know, thoughts interact with feelings in an empathic nervous system response. So our nervous systems talk to each other. It's like we have a remote control in our hands. And we know that we can produce calming neurochemicals by the way we talk and listen to each other, or we can produce stress and cortisol by the way we talk and interact with each other. So pay attention to your body and the other person's physical reactions. And learn from the past. We need to understand our past so that our theories and old patterns do not interfere with understanding and perceiving. If you're unaware of your own biases from the past, your ability to perceive accurately will definitely be compromised. For instance, if you have a fear of anger because your father had a short temper, you may be overly sensitive to people you encounter who are passionate but not angry. So every time somebody raises their voice with passion, you're going to interpret it as anger. So you have to unlearn that bias. And when you're listening to people, let the story unfold. Every, every person's story needs to proceed at its own pace. With empathy, we can judge with surprising accuracy how fast or slow the other person needs to go because timing is everything. And if you're calm inside, you kind of know when to intervene, when not to, when to let a story unfold or when it's reaching its conclusion. Okay, excellent, excellent advice. Um, and then in your book, you have little... Uh, um, like work worksheets or or, or um, uh, exercises that you can do in order to help you with this as well, correct? Yes, there's exercises at the end of every chapter. I encourage people to keep a journal, and uh, and I also have questionnaires that I ask people to take in the beginning of the book. There's a stress questionnaire, there's an empathy questionnaire, there's a performance addiction questionnaire, and then I ask you to take them again at the end of the book to see how you've improved and to see where you need to continue to focus to improve. And also there's a take action uh, recommendation at the end of each chapter, an action that you need to take and with someone else that you're close to so that you can evolve in an interpersonal way because you know change happens between people, not when we're on our own because again, we're too subjective. So I believe that in order to change, we need to take action. The change is an active process. So there's there's advice of how to do that at the end of each chapter as well. Okay. Now, when people are journaling, is there a certain style or format that you suggest in order to help specifically reduce stress? Well, there are particular questions at the end of each chapter, Nick, that focus on stress reduction. First, identifying the cognitive distortions that you may be using, asking questions that I ask people to write about in terms of what you perceived in the stories that I related from my own experiences with clients and so forth. And I tell some personal stories as well. And so it's very directed. You're, you're given a structure to focus on, but also that you have to do some work on your own. Okay, excellent. All right, well, awesome. And we thank you for coming on to the show and, and sharing this advice with us. Um, I, you know, I certainly could always use a little bit of stress reduction in my life, and I think that everybody can. And I know that my clients uh, specifically need it as well. So we certainly appreciate you coming on and sharing this with us because um, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change some lives out there. Um, so if you haven't, if you're a listener and you haven't uh, read the book yet, I would highly suggest it because it's going to help you um, it's going to help you uh, get solutions to the stress that you are facing in your life. So thank you com- for coming on to the show, Dr. Arthur, and uh, we really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Nick. And if people want to know more about my work, they can go to my website, balancersuccess.com. Excellent. Thanks again. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. If you want more information to multiply your health and simplify your lifestyle, visit our website at excelpodcast.com. 
Until next time, have an outstanding day.